So I know I'm not the only one that has had the experience where you get something locked in your mind and you can't let go. Like you just are fixated on getting that idea out or saying that thing, getting the last word, whatever it is, you are fixated on getting this thing out or or remembering something that you can't remember, like that movie actor that you can't remember in that conversation. Just this week I was talking with a friend and he's telling me about some uh, uh, a place down in South Carolina where uh, some movies have been filmed. And he remembered one of the movies, but he, he couldn't remember the second movie. And I just, after a minute, I just thought, well, let's move on. And so we just kept moving on in the conversation. Well, lo and behold, just before I go to bed, here comes a text message with the name of the movie. He couldn't let go. He just couldn't let go. And so that is, in part, my experience with where we're going today. After our, our study last week of a particular story in the Gospel of Mark, Looking at this theme of God with us, I couldn't let go. I could not let go of digging down on that theme. And so today, we're just going to continue where we left off last week, because I just can't let go. And because of that, we're going to do a deep dive into this theme of God with us. So we're going to start with the passage, we're going to just do repeat, do a quick review And then we're just going to dig. We're going to go a little bit further because obviously I can't let go. And until this gets out of me, we're just going to stay on this one passage forever. So let's let's do the deep dive and let's consider a, a fuller picture, maybe a bigger symphony of what it might mean for God to be with us. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 7, we pick up verse 31. We're just going to roll back over the ground we were where we tilled last week. Here it is, Jesus, uh, reading in Mark 7, 31 through 37, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epaphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did, the more they kept talking about it. The people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now here we see... God present in this moment, and we can draw out a lesson from this about what it might look like for God to be with us. That lesson, we said, was this. This was the lesson we wanted to walk out of that passage with, God is present in the mess of real life. And we noted this miracle is actually really messy. This is Jesus putting fingers in a person's ears. This is spitting on, Jesus spitting on the ground and touching a human tongue. This got real messy. So, so we were pulling out a lesson that God is present in the mess of real life. Then we made some application. We said in that application that God is present in our real lives now. God is present in the mess of our real lives now. And, and that all sounds good on surface. I think you can even get it down into ordinary life where we find ourselves. But I'm left with a question, something I couldn't let go of. I want to just sit with the question 
question that I ponder in light of last week's message. Does God want to be present in our mess? Or does he just have to deal with it because he has to? Does God really want to deal with my mess? Or is it just the fact that he's God, he's got to deal with what he's got? Is that what we're dealing with? Now, I want to I take that now, and I want to move to a transition on what this, what this deep dive into a look at God with us, where that might take us. And I want to say a few things, and I want to be really, really um, precise in my words. So I don't just want to put it on the screen. I just want to read to you a couple sentences or a couple paragraphs with precision so that I don't mess up my words here. So in light of this question, I think we are sitting with, many Christians are sitting with a particular idea that makes it really hard to answer that question. Here's what I'd say. The way some Christians talk, you might think God really doesn't like us. And he definitely doesn't want to get involved with our messes here on earth. They talk like God's only goal is to get us to heaven and to get us off this earth as fast as possible. But when I read the Bible and look at what God with us means, I don't see a God who cares only about heaven, but a God who cares about bringing heaven and earth together. God with us is about God joining together heaven and and earth. And this theme starts in the beginning and continues throughout the Bible. God joining heaven and earth. The Bible is not about a rescue plan to get all humans off earth and into heaven. The end goal of your life is not just to get to heaven. I see in the Bible a story of heaven and earth actually mixing, coming together. And so I want to literally take a journey through the Bible, starting with Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Take a look. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God, who we sometimes think is sitting up in heaven, up on a throne, somewhere way out there, here we see in the beginning God non-physical being breathing something breath in and it moves into something physical and then it comes alive and in the beginning heaven and earth mixed together and their life started heaven and earth joining in the beginning there in the garden those two mixing together then Genesis 3, take a look at what we see after the fall, after they mess it all up, Adam and Eve mess it all up, we read, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord walking in the garden. There is God and earth coming together. Heaven and earth mixing together. God is somehow walking in the garden. And then after this moment, once they come together, Adam and Eve and God will have a conversation about what has just happened. But in that garden, God is walking among the humans. 
Now, you know some of how this story goes. God eventually will then have to clean house on the earth because it gets so wicked. He'll send a flood. He'll save a few of those people. There's a lot going on in that story. But after that, he will pick one man, Abraham, and he will establish a covenant, a promise with that man and his family. And from that family will go out blessings to the world. Well, that family's got some problems along the way as we read in Genesis. Eventually, they, sh- they go down into Egypt, and they stay there for a very long time. And then, after staying there for a very long time, being oppressed, God decides to rescue them. And so, God brings his people out of Egypt in the great exodus. And then, when they get to the wilderness, God says, I'm going to be with you. But I'm not going to be with you generally. I'm going to come dwell with you in a place. And he tells them to build what is called the tabernacle. And he gives them all these instructions on how to build the tabernacle. The key for us is the tabernacle is where God will dwell. Take a look, Exodus 25. I just want you to see the way the tabernacle is described, particularly this one place in the tabernacle, this Ark of the Covenant, which has this mercy seat on it. There, above the cover, that is of this mercy seat, in the tabernacle, between the two cherubim, that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. That's Exodus 25, 22. Above the cover, I'm going to meet with you. So here we have a physical thing, like a table. It's just an ark. It's a chest. And God says there, in that place, earth, I, heaven, earth, they're going to come together. I will meet with you. That's where I will dwell. Then at the end of Exodus where we get a summary of how this tabernacle went, we see Exodus chapter 40, two verses, we get a clear picture of how this thing ended, at least in the Exodus account. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is the tabernacle, different translation. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Twice, in two verses, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Heaven and earth came together in this place. This is not a God who's trying to have a, is not trying to establish a rescue mission to get everyone to heaven. This is a God who's trying to get heaven to earth. And he says, I will come and I will be on earth in this place, this place. Now, for you visual learners, take a look. Take a look at this, this story we just told. This is the story of heaven and earth coming together. We've started in the garden with God's breath moving into the earth and then things coming alive. And we just looked at the tabernacle where we see this physical building housing the dwelling of God, his presence, heaven and earth coming together. So right now we're telling a bit of a story and we're up to Exodus. Don't you worry, we just have 64 more books to go. Let's just fast forward. So eventually, eventually, the people get into the land, the promised land, into Palestine, and they just keep messing things up. Eventually, they ask for a king, and God, in his grace and in mercy, will give them a king, and then that gets all messed up. And then one of those kings, King David, says, I'm going to build a house for you, God, a house where you can dwell. Not just this, this tent, this tabernacle that is mobile. I want to make you firm. I want to establish you in Jerusalem. God says, that's a great idea, but actually your son's going to do it. And so Solomon builds what we call 
the temple in Jerusalem. And when that temple gets built, we have a record of how Solomon dedicates that building. Take a look, 1 Kings chapter 8. This is the record here, part of the record of what happens. 1 Kings 8, 10 through 13. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, that is a part of the temple, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Here again, that same storyline continues all the way up into the kings, this record of Israel's kings. And now again, heaven and earth are coming together, but now in the temple. Even Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he has this magnificent vision of of the Lord. And like God is in his presence. You want to take a guess where that happens? In the temple, where God dwells, where heaven and earth are coming together. Take a look, Isaiah chapter 6. You may know this well, but now put it in the fuller story of God with us. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, in the, year of king of, uh, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, the two wings that covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. The temple was filled with smoke, heaven and earth. Coming together. That same story that I see in Genesis chapter 2 with breath into a physical being giving life. That's the same story. I'm seeing that same theme playing out even in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, the people of God mess things up really bad. And God sends them into exile. And that enemy comes in and destroys the temple. And it's gone. It's in, it's, it's in shambles. But Isaiah has a vision that one day, that place where he saw God come, heaven and earth together in the temple, Isaiah had a vision that one day God's going to bring his people back to a place and all will be made right. Isaiah chapter 52, check out his vision. Isaiah 52, 8. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. Zion's Jerusalem. That will be the temple. That's the place. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. There's a lot lot going on in Isaiah chapter 40 through 55, but here we see just, just one example of Isaiah having a vision that one day the people of God will come back and God will meet them in a place. Heaven and earth coming back together. This is a theme in the God with us story. Now, When the people are in this captivity, Jeremiah, the prophet, who has gone off in captivity too, Jeremiah also has a vision. And God has something to say about how all this will work out. You may know this scripture, Jeremiah 31, verses 31. I'm going to take the first part of verse 32. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Hmm. Jeremiah has a vision from the Lord speaking through him that God's going to do something new. 
Let me, make, let me put a summary on this. Let me just have a summary statement about this new covenant. Let's put that summary up. The new covenant would not be a mission to renew God's people, uh, remove God's people from earth. It was a promise that God would come to dwell with them in a new way. Okay, so let's visualize where we've, where we've been so far. Let's put up the visual. So we've been to the garden. We know God has then come, heaven and earth in the tabernacle, then heaven and earth in the temple, and that's had its own problems. But then God says, I am going to do something new. But it's going to be something new in the same story. Does that make sense? That means that somehow God's going to do something new where he may not dwell in a place. Maybe he will come and heaven and earth will come together not in a place, maybe not just in a building, but maybe in a different way. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, that's Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. God was indeed going to do something new. Heaven and earth were going to come together. And now they were going to come together in a person. See, the Christmas story without the story of Israel sounds a bit odd. Sounds like it comes out of nowhere. But when you see Christmas put in the story of Israel, going all the way back to Genesis, it actually has some logic involved. God has always been in the business of bringing heaven to earth and those two coming together. And then humanity, that is, we as people, his people, are working with him in the joy of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, in this community of love. This has always been what God has been about. Not, not somehow having an evacuation plan to get people away from earth because somehow it's so bad. No, God is reconciling us so that he could, be, he could dwell with us. And you know, when some of the apostles would look back, they began to think through, what does all this mean? How would I describe it? And the apostle John had a particular way of writing about this Christmas event, this God with us event, this birth of a child, this, this God in flesh moment. John 1.14, here's how, here's how he writes it. Here's how he summarizes it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You know, that is the New International Version translation. If we were to take a literal translation of, of that passage and we were to look at that Greek word for dwell with us and we were going to translate it as literal as we could into English... Let me show you what that translation would look like. This is the Young's literal translation. And the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. And we beheld his glory. The word John picks is the word tabernacle. That, that, 
that vision, that plan God had had all the way back in Exodus to establish a place to bring heaven and earth together, the tabernacle where God's glory would sit and dwell, it comes in a person. Hmm. You see, that's all part of the Christmas story. That's all part of what it means for God to be with us. So here's how I want to, I want to just kind of take that and make a summary statement, kind of where we've been so far. Let's go to the summary statement, then go to the visual. There is a long history of God bringing together heaven and earth from a biblical perspective. There's nothing accidental or random about God with us in our mess. Nothing accidental. Now let's put up the visual without the last one. There you go. This is the story we've been telling. There's been this mixture of heaven and earth in the garden, then the tabernacle, then the temple, and then God says, but I'm going to do it in a new way. And he says, I'm doing it through Jesus. I'm actually sending my son. Now, the story doesn't stop with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It ends with Revelation. And that goal of bringing heaven and earth together, if it is so important, and I've read this correctly, then we better have a vision, a plan, at the end, for those two things to come together. And it might not just be us being removed from the earth to get away from here. It might actually be heaven coming to earth. It'd be really nice if the Bible said it that clearly. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. The Apostle John writing, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation ends with a vision of heaven coming to earth and them dwelling together. That sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, where God and humans are mixing together in harmony and love. There's nothing inherently bad about this earth. God has a vision for all of this working together in a new heaven, a new earth, what we might call a new creation. And none of it is random. None of it is accidental. This has played out and will play out just as God wishes. Now, that's some of what I couldn't let go. So how in the world does this have any application to your life? What does it look like then to take all of that and say something about your life today with lunch on the horizon? What in the world does this have to say about your life? Well, I want to make one application. Of all the things we could say, let me just say this one thing. Because if it wasn't an accident, then that means there's something about your life that has application. Your life with God, then, is not an accident. Your life with God is not an accident. And there's got a, you've got a couple parts there, right? So it's your life. Your life is not an accident. Your life might stink, but you're not an accident. There are a lot of reasons why life can stink, that, that things can go bad. There are diseases 
There are tragedies. There are wrecks. There are all kinds of things that can throw life for a loop. But you are not an accident. God is not in the business of creating accidents. God is intentional. And then when God decides to dwell with people, that is, when God decides to, to bring things back together in harmony through Jesus, ah, oh, with God is never an accident. And you did not, you did not initiate the relationship you have with Jesus. God was doing something for you, hoping to be with you, and calling you before you ever made a first move. You did not come up with this plan. You get to step into it. And so your life with God is not an accident. That means that in all of your messiness this Christmas season, no matter if it happened last week, last night, or you're still living in the aftermath of a mess from a month ago, a year ago, ten years ago, God is not done with working these things out for his people. Your life with God is not an accident. That story we just reviewed tells me that. And the Apostle Paul picks that up, this truth up, and he decides to declare this truth over top of the Romans in the Roman church. Take a look at what Paul writes, Romans 8, 29. This is, a, this is just another way of saying where we have been. We know that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Mm. That means that nothing that is, has, or will happen to you is by accident. Now, that doesn't mean God is causing all your mess, but it does mean that it will all get worked out in the end. And you can have hope in that. You can have hope that God will use all the mess that you experience in this Christmas season to work it out for good. Because that story we just told of heaven and earth coming together, there's a lot of mess in that story. And we still got to Jesus. And from Jesus, we will still get to the new Jerusalem coming down. That is heaven and earth coming together where there is no more death, no more tears, no more sadness. And trust me, he's got a lot of mess to work with along the way. But he'll work it out for our good. So God's got your mess. It'll be okay. So let's take it to a next step. Let's just end quickly on a next step. This, one's going, this one might be a challenge depending on where you find yourself today. That next step is to say thank you to Jesus for your life. You are not an accident. And I, I don't mean, this isn't like some, some highly figurative uh, next step. This isn't flowery language. I literally mean say thank you. So as you're going, going about your ordinary life this week and it pops in your mind something that was said in these last few minutes, then just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Get the habit inside of you. Get the habit there. You are not an accident. God has not been about the business of establishing a relationship with humans and all of their mess and all their sin at random. That means you are not random, nor your life with God random. So say thank you. Say thank you. Let me pray for you. To the God who is near, to the God who is intentional, 
to the God who has brought heaven and earth together in Jesus. We want to say thank you. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of us are, we, we want to want. So help us there. Thank you for working through our mess. Thank you for what you will do in the future through our mess. And thank you in the end that all will be well. There is indeed joy in the world. Earth has received her king. Go with us in our week. Help us, Holy Spirit, where we need it. Have grace with us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Together we all can say, amen.